You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 39, The Youth Worker Enneagram Project. I'm very excited to start this 11-episode series today on how youth workers figure out their God-given tendencies through the Enneagram as a tool and use it to think about how they care for themselves and how they do ministry, both things they excel at and things that they need help with. Uh, To get started, let me give you some context. So, a while back... I was talking with some friends and family about the Enneagram, and I've known about the Enneagram for a few years, and when I started looking up things about the Enneagram pertaining to youth ministry specifically, I really only found resources about students. I did not really find anything about people in youth ministry. Ministry overall, sure, but youth ministry specifically and working with teenagers, not so much. So I did a poll in this Facebook group that I'm a part of, and I asked people to drop their Enneagram numbers, their dominant number, and their wing number, along with how they think their Enneagram tendencies help them in ministry and maybe make some things more difficult. And I received nearly 1,300 votes, 1,297 to be precise, And in looking at the comments and feedback, I realized with that big response that people really are interested and want to know more about this for themselves and their ministry. So I looked up two Christian Enneagram coaches. I was looking for Christian Enneagram coaches who have significant experience with the Enneagram and also in youth ministry, and I found two. Uh, And both of their experience with the Enneagram goes beyond their own coaching experience, but they are now both professional coaches. And I reached out to a few of the people who took part in that poll, as well as some friends of mine uh, and other people who are prominent and very involved in youth ministry. And I asked them about the idea of coming on the podcast and talking about this, and they were excited to be a part of it. So you will hear from our two Enneagram coaches for this series, Ainsley and Danielle. They will introduce themselves, and we will talk about the origins of the Enneagram, why it's used today uh, in Christianity, and what all these numbers and terms like wings, what all these things actually mean. So, let's go ahead and hear from our two coaches, meet them, and start talking about the Enneagram pertaining to youth ministry. Ainsley and Danielle, thank you so much for joining me for this kickoff of our exciting 11-episode series on how the Enneagram affects youth ministry workers and our investment in the next generation. Uh, Let's start with some introductions because uh, we'll be hearing both of you on here for the next several episodes so we can get to know you a little bit. Uh, So tell us who you are, 
your youth ministry or church ministry experience, how long you've been working with Enneagram content and what that has involved and what you're looking forward to in this series. Uh, Ainsley, let's start with you. Yeah. Hello, friends. I am Ainsley B. and so excited to be with y'all today. I'm an Enneagram coach through yourenneagramcoach.com. Um, I'm also an author, and I've worked in youth ministry for about nine years, leading high school students specifically, who I absolutely love. I'm obsessed with high school students. And as far as the Enneagram goes, I've only been a coach for about a year and a half, almost two years probably, but I've been studying the Enneagram for about six or seven years, um, And but you just never stop learning. Obviously, there's new stuff to discover every time that you you turn the page. So I also have an Enneagram TikTok. If anybody's on that platform, it's called Enneagram and Chill, and it's satirical, kind of plays into the stereotypes a little bit, which I'm, I know we're not supposed to do, but it's really funny. <laughs> so, it, but it really is like a big hands-on learning practice for me because people are commenting back and forth their experience with their type. So it's actually real. It's like in the field work that you don't really get as often because it's not necessarily coaching. So it's really fun. And uh, yeah, through this series, I'm so looking forward to hearing from youth workers and how they use the information of the Enneagram uh, to invest in themselves so they can really invest in the next generation. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Danielle, how about you? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here too. Um, I started actually my youth ministry experience as a volunteer. So I volunteered in youth ministry off and on, mostly high school for about nine years while I was going to seminary. When I graduated from seminary, I uh, moved up to adult ministry. And so I worked for a local church for 10 years as an adult ministry director and then um, left there to start my own coaching practice. So initially I was certified as a life coach and I didn't know anything about the Enneagram. And then I kind of stumbled upon it. One of my, um, one of the teachers I learned from, she says, the, you don't find the Enneagram, the Enneagram finds you. <laughs> that is kind of what works. So I actually also took um, an online course from your Enneagram coach. And then she recommended a gal um, who is actually one of the, uh, the big teachers in the Enneagram world, Ginger Lepped Bogda, uh, who she is a prolific writer. And she runs an, the Enneagram in business. And she did a kind of an intensive out in San Francisco. So I went for a week and got training on coaching specifically with the Enneagram. And I've only been working with it um, similar to Ainsley, maybe three or four years. Um, I actually started introducing it to my coaching clients and I didn't know enough about it and they all hated it. So I <laughs> <laughs> learned a little bit more before I started talking about it <laughs> to others. Um, and like Ainsley, I I feel like it's a never ending learning process. Um, the more I coach people, the more I work with people. I, um, I've actually uh, worked with my own pastor and in our small church, we, we've typed our leadership team and uh, officially. And so they're constantly asking me questions <laughs> on the side. And, and that is just such a great learning process of how do people work together? How do we use the Enneagram to be more self-aware in ministry? So um, that's my story. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I was talking to someone yesterday. I uh, gave them a little 
sneak peek of this. Um, and they're like, yeah, I don't really know much about it. And I said, I don't either. Uh, I'm not in this to be an expert. That's why both of you are on here. I am in this uh, to learn as much as anyone listening, as any of our guests. Um, and you know, I'm just really excited to see how you know, God has wired us with these tendencies, and yet we're all made in His image. And so what does it look like for us uh, to be used by Him for our good and His glory, but in very unique ways? Um, and so when I was having conversations, uh, with some family about the Enneagram, I thought, you know, I wonder what youth workers, I wonder how they use this or think about it as they work with students. And so, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, we did a poll, um, on a youth ministry, uh, Facebook group, and I had about 1300 youth workers respond uh, and while I was getting feedback from some of them about the things they have noticed in their ministry tendencies relating to the Enneagram, I also had a few people commenting in response to them, telling them to stop all involvement with the Enneagram because it's demonic, it's evil. Um, and when I first heard about the Enneagram years ago, I didn't learn about the origins until much later. So I think it's really important for us to break that down for everyone because I think people should be aware, especially when it pertains to how it's used in the church and for those in ministry. You know, I don't want people to be listening to this and then someone tell them the origins and feel like we were hiding it and say, oh, well, all this is garbage and I don't want to hear about it, right? So it's important for us to be able to say, here's where it started and here's why it's being used now. Um, so ladies, what are the origins of the Enneagram? Why are people concerned about it? And why is it okay for us to be using it as believers in Christ? Danielle, let's start with you. Yeah, that's not a softball question, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually did some research. So the real answer is we don't really know the origins. There's all kinds of different theories about where it came from. Um, So I did a little research with um, the wisdom of the Enneagram by uh, Hudson and Riso. They're kind of pioneers in the Enneagram uh, world. And so they, he, they outline actually where they think it came from. So basically it's an ancient tradition that no one knows where the origins are. They, what they can trace back to is a man by the name of Gurdjieff, who he lived in the 1870s and um, really studied the science of transformation. And so he wanted to know more. And so he kind of, he and his friends got together and they searched the world and he stumbled across the Enneagram. There's a difference between the Enneagram symbol that you see everywhere and the Enneagram of personality, which is what people are using it more for today. So what he stumbled on was the Enneagram symbol, which is, um, was developed some theories think ascetic monks developed it in the fourth century, but the idea behind it is it's a combination of, uh, a psychological map and a spiritual map. So combining those two things. So um, he stumbled upon it and kind of wrote more about it. And then it really didn't develop into the Enneagram of personality until the 1950s. Um, two gentlemen brought this to the Western world, um, which is Claudio Echazo and oh, Oscar Echazo and Claudio Naranjo. So Oscar Echazo was the one who developed the personality piece of it in the 1950s. Claudio Naranjo went and studied with Oscar and brought it to the United States and started teaching the Enneagram of personality. So all that to say, we really don't know. Uh, I have not seen anything in my research and in my reading that I would say, boy, this is from the devil. There's no proof of that. Um, And what I find is that um, 
one, it's just a tool. So I always tell my clients and tell people I'm working with is that the Bible, the gospel, our faith trumps the Enneagram. So the Enneagram is a tool for really self-discovery of being um, cultivating self-awareness and then using that. And one of the things I talk about when I talk about this is Ephesians 4, where we're supposed to shed our old self and put on our, our true self. And that's what the Enneagram gets at. It's a system that can help you understand that um, you have this kind of adjusted self and that adjusted self is kind of almost like our sin nature. Not It's a coping mechanism more like. Uh, and so we have adjusted so we can thrive in the world. But what we're adjusting to and thriving and depending on is really more of an idol of this is why we do what we do, but we're not including God in that story. So Ephesians 4 invites us to say, okay, what is our true self? Who does God want us to be in our authentic self? So um, a couple books I would recommend on this. One, Richard Rohr, he's a priest, but he does a good job of explaining the history. He has this huge um, chapter on it. So if you're really interested in the history, you can read that. But I also... Uh, always recommend Marilyn Vansel's book, self Delude, Self-Defined. She does such a great job of seeing how she sees um, scripture um, in the Enneagram and unfolding what that adjusted self and um, authentic self really are. So yeah, those awesome. are my, but I always look at it as a tool and I always combine it with scripture and the gospel. So to me, I want God's transformation first, but sometimes I know from my experience in ministry, a lot, I would just be praying the same prayers with our people over and over again because they were stuck because they didn't have a tool for self-awareness and understanding where they're starting and what was what was the cycle of patterns of behavior so yeah great i love that ainsley uh, what would you add to that uh people being concerned about it how it's being used in the church today yeah i absolutely love everything that danielle said so i would echo all of it it is spot on and through my work with your Enneagram coach, Jeff and Beth McCord, in my opinion, they really say it how I like to communicate it in that the Enneagram is a communal tool. You know, unlike other founders of religions or movements, the teachers of the Enneagram don't necessarily follow the ideas and beliefs and practices of previous teachers. So you'll actually find that each Enneagram teacher presents the Enneagram according to their worldview, sometimes adding, subtracting, or you know, concepts contained in the Enneagram. So in my specific presentation of the Enneagram in your Enneagram coaches and and sounds like in Danielle's as well, we've removed or re redefined all aspects of the Enneagram that do not align with any biblical worldview. And we direct people to spiritual disciplines, not unbiblical spiritual practices. So that's what I would tell the church is you, you have your spiritual disciplines. And those are going to be the ones that truly bring transformation and truly bring growth. So use the Enneagram just as a, a stepping stone to that. Use it first as the awareness piece. Then you have the spiritual disciplines to create the change piece. And of course, using the gospel for the freedom piece and the uh, forever piece, if you will. Mm -hmm. And of course, just like Danielle said, using discernment is going to be your number one tool. I mean, but don't, I always am like, don't pass a judgment until you try it, until you read about it, until you give it a chance. Because I've seen some incredible transformation in my life, in my business, in my marriage, and in the people around me as well. And especially in the church, it's like, it's um, 
brought forth a level of grace and empathy in the people around me, especially in our church that we've never seen before. And if that's what that brings forward, that doesn't sound non-biblical to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to have both of your input on that. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, uh, this, this question and how we intro this, um, you know, I was looking back at, at some of those people who are commenting and saying it's evil and, and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not doubting that they did their own research. And whenever we see anything involved with demons or Satan, right, that should be a red, a red flag. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think it's very important for us to remember that Satan cannot create. He can only distort what's been created. And if God gave us tendencies, if he gave us personality traits, if he gave us spiritual gifts, right, for blessing the church, not just ourselves, but for the benefit of others, yeah, um, anything that's presented here in creation has been and will be at some point distorted and used for terrible purposes, right? Um, I know in in a month or so, uh, I'm starting a apologetic series. I'm starting an apologetic series with my students, and we're talking about some of the urban legends in church history and how we think so much in Christianity has been affected by paganism, when really it's not near as much as we think. Um, a lot of it has been blown out of proportion. And I think kind of that same approach has been taken to the Enneagram along with our modern look at a headline. You can find anything and anyone that agrees with you on the internet. And we kind of take that and run. Yeah. And uh, I'm also not saying that anyone who is wary of the Enneagram is not using discernment. I'm sure that they are. But also, kind of like you both said, we need to read, we need to think about, we need to realize how, and for our purposes, the Enneagram is a tool. And without the gospel, without scripture, it's really useless and can really go down a path that is not how God intended for us to think about ourselves, especially in his image, how we can bless others, how we can make sure that we have good soul care, how we delegate uh, in ministry, how we care for students. Um, so I think that is a really important perspective to have is where our foundation is, where our identity is, and to not put those things in the Enneagram, but to use that as a tool, as a filter, uh, and not the beginning point, and not, this is who I am. We know that we're in Christ. And so mm-hmm. this is just a, a, a tool, as you both have talked about. Um, well, since the uh, f- forthcoming uh, episodes and interviews will be tight, we're going to keep them to half an hour or less to make them uh, easier to listen to. Um, we're going to make the assumption in those that everyone who is listening is at least aware of the Enneagram overall. Um, so let's talk about where people can find out their own Enneagram information online and maybe a basic run through of some of those numbers, numbers one through nine and what a wing is. Um, so Ainsley, can you start, start us off with some ways uh, people can find out their Enneagram info and then take us through numbers one through four, if you could. Absolutely. So the good news is that there are tons of resources online for Enneagram information. Tons. So it's kind of overwhelming, but I'll tell you kind of the main places that I gravitate back towards. And that is your Enneagramcoach.com and Enneagraminstitute.com. Um, I also always tell you to start out with The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crone or Cron. I never know how to pronounce his last name, <laughs> but I love how he explains each type in a 
digestible, simplistic way. So these places really give you a ton of information about the nine types, the growth and stress paths, along with some ways to grow in the help into the healthiest version of your type, which is obviously the goal. And as far as finding your type, I recommend just like most coaches recommend reading through all the types and seeing which one feels the most true, but there are assessments on each of these sites. If that feels overwhelming, um, just know that tests are usually 75% accurate. So you really want to do some research on your own to get to the core of it before just owning and running with a type. Mm-hmm. So kicking it off type one is the reformer or the moral perfectionist. And I'll go through like the core fear, core desire, and just a a little snippet on each type, because obviously we could go on for hours um, on the details, but the core fear of that one is being wrong, bad, evil, or corrupt. And their core desire is to really have integrity and be a good person. And uh, YEC says type ones are people who are conscientious, sensible, ethical, responsible, idealistic, serious, self-discipline, orderly, and they feel personally obligated to improve themselves and their world. I always like to, I always like to identify a person with the type. So this is my mom, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) (laughs) And I am a type two. I am the helper, which I'm wondering if Danielle could have guessed or not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or three, but two, two is close enough. Hard, hard ha- very strong three wing. <laughs> <laughs> and my core fear, the type two's core fear is of being unwanted or unworthy of love. And the core desire is being loved, wanted, and appreciated. Um, twos are people who see the world through relationships and they really define themselves through their service to others. Now, they can be selfless, loving, and giving or dependent, prideful, and manipulative. And then we have the type three, my husband, the achiever. You're type three too, Jeff, right? Oh, yeah. You are too, Danielle? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Wow, I love that. So core fear for that three is being inefficient or worthless and core desire to be seen as successful and valuable. You know, threes are people who really measure themselves by external achievement and roles that they play. They may be goal-oriented, accomplished, and excel at what they do. Or they can be, you know, the one to embellish the truth a little bit, be overly competitive, and focused only on their own accomplishments. So that's a little bit about the three. And then one of my favorite types, and I know we're not supposed to have favorites like Parents aren't supposed to have favorite kids, but I love the four because you just learn so much from them. They are the individualist. Their core fear is of being insignificant and inadequate, and their core desire is being unique and authentic. And they really live primarily in their imagination and in their feelings. They may be artistic, uh, sensitive, creative, articulate, and inspiring, or moody, elitist, and (laughs) self-absorbed. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a three wing two. And every time I've taken an assessment, my two is as close as you can be to my three without tying like every single time. Wow. Uh, so I feel like I can go back and forth and see myself in both of those numbers. Uh, and we'll talk more about wings in a little, in a little bit. 
mm-hmm. but great, great. So Danielle, where are some uh, good resources for people to find out their own Enneagram stuff online that you've had um, experience with? And also, also, can you take us through numbers five through nine? Yeah, um, I would agree with everything Ainsley said. There's tons of stuff online. Um, I um, I first learned about the Enneagram from your Enneagram coach. I think she does a nice job of combining that gospel with um, transformation you can experience with self-awareness. So she's a great place to start. Um, and then there's lots of other people I follow on Instagram and that do a really nice job. I also, I don't know if you guys have listened to the Fathoms podcast, but they are taking the Enneagram one step deeper, but I, their heart is behind it is to like get past all the memes and stereotypes and really mm-hmm. help people find transformation. So I really like those guys. It's uh, I usually have to listen to the podcast like three times to understand what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> don't be alarmed, <laughs> but they do a nice job of that. Um, uh, I also like the Enneagram Institute. I, that's the test that I use with my clients. Um, so anyone who comes to me for a typing interview, um, they get that assessment online and it's a paid test, but it's very thorough. Um, so that's a, another great place. They have a learning center where you can uh, go through all the mistypes and kind of compare each type. Um, and then I think it's just a, about reading and learning and, and getting to know yourself. So I always tell my clients to, um, that it's a journey and not a sprint. So the idea is not to have a number, but to get to know yourself and then, um, that it's okay to try the types on like a piece of clothing <laughs> and see. Yeah. It. So it took me a while. I didn't, I didn't start with three, um, but I just kind of tried a few numbers that I thought could be it and then landed on three. And um, Ian Morgan Cron's uh, podcast really helped me um, because he does some typing on there and it really helped me distinguish between two numbers. I was between one of his guests. So cool. Um, so yeah, so those are some resources. So I'll launch into type five. So type five is um, sometimes called the investigator or the observer. And their core fear is actually um, a little bit of running out of resources um, and being depleted. And they really focus on wisdom and knowledge and applying that wisdom. And so their motivation, they're highly motivated by, um, um, what's the word I want to use? of just knowing all the things and then learning. So they tend to be deep thinkers. They are great in a a crisis. They're very calm and um, uh, ready to kind of help. They can be innovative because they want to understand how things work. So they spend a lot of time reading. um, Then, uh, and then they are just afraid of running out of resources. So they keep everything close and that starts with people resources. So Beth McCord actually says that they, um, they start, everyone, one of us starts the day with hundred percent battery and they start with 20%. So they tend to be more of a withdrawing type and um, keep to themselves a little bit more. Um, it's, it's not that they're not, that they don't like people, but that they know that they deplete and need to recharge. And so, um, uh, so that they can, they love research. They love learning new things. They love applying wisdom. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of moves them through life. Um, but their biggest thing is that they want to figure out how things work. And sometimes that prevents them from moving forward. And also this whole idea of I'm going to run out of resources. So, mm. okay. Yeah. So type six, um, often kind of called the loyalist. And I have a good friend who's a, a six, a classic six, but six is, um, their core fear is, um, 
really being uh, abandoned, unsafe, insecure, um, and and really they they are, these are the the type that can fear fear itself. Um, I think they get a bad rap that people assume that they are always in a state of anxiety, which they are not always in a state of anxiety. Um, but then their core strengths are that they are highly analytical. They're very loyal. Um, they love to support their people. Um, they can be funny and witty um, and they really just want to do the right thing. So what, what comes out for them is that they um, tend to be, um, I just heard it last night. I can't remember the term for it, but they are threat forecasters. So they're always looking to see what could go wrong here. And then how can I be prepared in case it goes wrong? So <laughs> that is the type six. They're always thinking of, of what could go wrong. My friend is always thinking of, okay, um, are you in a ditch somewhere? Is something going to happen here? <laughs> and, and then she wants to be prepared. So she likes to get me gifts that as a type three, I'm like, I don't want that gift, but like, <laughs> it in case my car breaks down and um, threes uh, tend to not really think of consequences. They just keep going. And so <laughs> I'm like, I really don't want a car kick. Could you get me something else? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they are great friends. They're great team players. And that they had this natural next to um, solve problems. And so they're great to have on a team because they will think of things that no one else is thinking of um, as you make decisions and move forward. All right. So next is type seven. Um, my pastor is a type seven um, and he's surrounded by threes and ones. So you should pray for him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, seven is called the enthusiast. Um, and the, it, they live up to their name. They're enthusiastic pretty much about everything. Um, their core fear is actually of getting trapped in emotional pain. And so they tend to not want to um, necessarily kind of go deep, go experience that sadness, grief, disappointment. And so how they cope with this is they actually look for exciting, excitement, fun, adventure. They are the people who lift us all up, um, super optimistic, super futuristic. They actually have um, the quickest minds on the Enneagram. They have, their minds are like kind of like a computer <laughs> and they're just moving on to the next thing. Um, where they get into trouble is they use all this excitement and ex- new activities to um, not stay grounded where there could be disappointment and sadness. So they use that as kind of their coping mechanism. They just keep moving to the next thing, Um, but they love people, fun, adventure. Um, My pastor's wife is always saying that um, he is always walking around the house saying, we didn't do anything fun today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they, you know, they tend to be, you know, just hopping from next thing to the next thing. So sometimes execution can be hard for them. So I think they can execute. They sometimes have to work at it really hard. Um, so type eight, the challenger or the protector, um, I like to go with challenger. So these guys, um, their core, um, desire is to, uh, have strength, power. Um, they tend to, they're called the protector because they, um, stand up for the underdog very often. So justice is big to them. Um, they tend to be very intense, so they will act without thinking they're in the gut center. I don't know if we're ever going to talk about centers of intelligence, but they do everything from the gut. Um, and they can be real, super generous hearted, big hearted. They get a bad rap because, because of their intensity, they can move into 
intimidation for a lot of the other types because they're so intense. But um, their core weakness is they don't like to be vulnerable or um, be controlled. And so what happens is they tend to start controlling in order to not be controlled themselves. Um, so they, but they have this huge heart and they make great leaders and strategists and high flying detail. And, um, and a lot of us know AIDS that really challenge us and move us kind of keep helping us grow. I have an eight in my life that has always been that for me, um, truth teller. Um, so, and then lastly, but not least the nine, the peacemaker, um, everyone loves the nines. <laughs> so their strengths are really that, um, they, they're highly motivated by having peace and harmony in their lives. And they do this by, they can see all sides to an argument. They are very accepting and welcoming and warm. Um, they, um, their core fear though, is that that fear drives them of, they want to stay in peace. And so they go along to get along a lot of times. So they do a couple things like um, merging, basically kind of suppressing what they really want and desire so that they can say yes to the desires of other people. And they really struggle with actually knowing that their presence matters in a group or a team. Um, and so a lot of their work is really identifying what matters to them and actually speaking their truth and their voice. Um, so. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Show version. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you were talking about the fives. Um, so I know a few fives and it, probably isn't a big surprise to either of you or anyone who knows much about the Enneagram uh, to hear that fives were by far the lowest number in the poll. Um, out of 1,297 youth workers who voted, like 54 are fives. Um, and our guest, wow. who's, who, who's going to be a five, is Dr. Andy Root from Luther Seminary. So he is very big in youth ministry, and yet he is definitely a five. Um, and so I'm interested to hear um, just all the different ins and outs of things, because, you know, as you were talking about um, someone who likes to be prepared and, you know, as a, th as a three, I actually do like to have car kits and things in, in my car. And so, you know, um, I, I think it's good uh, for us to, when we hear from each of these guests and go through the numbers and the wings, which we'll talk about here in one second, um, that, you know, just because you might test or assess this way, as both of you have said, you need to keep learning. You need to keep thinking about who you are. And most of the things about Enneagram and youth ministry that I've seen pertain to students. If your students are a two or if they're a five and, um, you know, you can think about that. And that's good to start seeing it that way. But also know that, you know, our brains don't stop developing until we're, what, 25? And so you're in flux. And so if a teenager might think of themselves or test as a three, they might not be that by the time they're 18, right? And so it's good for us to also kind of take that with ourselves, kind of take that in stride and realize that, hey, we're not going to fit this mold perfectly. We're going to have these tendencies and we're going to see that, but you are still your own person. A three is not like every other three, right? And the same goes for any other number. Um, so that's good for us to kind of have that in balance. And I think with the Enneagram, the wing kind of helps that a lot. And so what is a wing? Why is it there? Why is it important for us to combine that with our dominant number? Uh, Ainsley, where is the wing in all of this Enneagram uh, stuff? Yeah. So the wing is going to be the numbers adjacent. The wings are going to be the numbers adjacent to your main type. So on either side. 
So I'm going to speak from a two's perspective because sometimes I'll get tongue tied with all the (laughs) numbers. Um, But as a two, my wings would be a one or a three. Uh, They really just add dimension to your personality. They really add a little spice, if you will, salt and pepper, where you can have a dominant wing, just meaning that you have a lot of tendencies of that type, a lot of the behaviors of that type. For example, I'm a two with a dominant three wing, I have a ton of three behaviors. But whenever I have an identity crisis thinking, am I three? Am I three? I go right back to those core motivations and core desires and core fears and think to myself, what what am I most in line with? And that always brings me back to being a two. So they're really compliments to your personality. And You can go back and forth between your wings. You're not tied to that one specific thing forever and ever. Amen. Um, The cleanliness that I keep my house is usually more indicative of a one wing. I'm a little bit of a psycho, but (laughs) the, the way that I structure my day and my time and the efficiency that I strive for is very much uh, indicative of my three wings. So they're just, I like to call them the salt and pepper of your personality. They add a little bit of flavor, a little bit of uh, diversity to who you are in your type. And that's kind of how I like to simplify it and explain it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So it goes one through nine for the dominant numbers. And so if you're a one, then your wings are going to be back to a nine or a two, right? Yes. Um, Okay. Yeah. So um, Danielle, would there be anything that you would add to that for wings and how we should think about them? Yeah. I don't really pay a lot of attention to that as much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Because I think people get caught up in, this is my dominant wing. And the Mm -hmm. exciting part about wings is you can choose what you can have equal access to both wings and choose the things that will really be helpful to you. So um, while my dominant wing is a four, I can still choose to kind of borrow from that too and be more servant hearted and pay more attention to people than my tests (laughs) and things like that. So I think they're helpful in typing uh, a lot and understand, you know, and when you first start learning, because sometimes it's confusing, right? Am I a two or am I three or three or four, whatever. Um, And so I think if you're in that place, the wings kind of explain that. But after that, I feel like, just like Ainsley said, it's, it's just a flavoring and it's not who you are. So you don't become the two when you're using the wing. (laughs) If you're a three, you you know, you're just borrowing some of those traits and just always remembering that the core motivation. I loved that you gave that example, Ainsley, of like, when I start to question (laughs) A two or three, we go back to motivations. I mean, we've been talking a lot about behaviors, but it really is that core motivation that drives what you do. And so the per- mm-hmm. you know, just because there are two threes in the room doesn't mean their personality is going to be exactly the same. And there's all kinds of other layers that are too confusing to get into right here uh, <laughs> that can explain some of that too. But um, yeah, so I think the wings are, I think if they're helpful to explain or helping you understand why you still have some tendencies on those adjacent numbers. I think that those are great. And I think if they're useful, but I, I really kind of, um, once my clients understand their type, I push them to say, how could you borrow from both of them and choose to, you know, that path of transformation of, they both have good qualities that you, that would be helpful to you. So. Great. Great. Yes. Um, so 
Thank you both for joining me today. I'm really excited about this. Uh, so usually, listeners, as you might know, we do one episode per week. But for this series, we are doing two episodes a week. So this Friday will be our first guest, our Enneagram One youth worker. And we'll go every Tuesday and Friday with episodes. And so that way, if you're a nine, you don't have to wait three months to hear about it. You can hear, you can wait just till the end of the month. Okay. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, ladies, can you tell us where we can follow you on the web, social media, website, moving forward so people can kind of see and get to know you a little bit uh, as they hear you on here and see the posts about this series. Uh, so where can they follow you and read up about what you do? Danielle, let's go with you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm at, on Instagram at at one foot coach. Um, I'll, I'll spell down. And then Facebook, same thing. I have a one foot coaching business page. And then um, my website is onefootcoaching.com, all based on the story of Peter getting out of the boat and how we can all got into that. Nice. Um, those are the three places. I am not on TikTok, but I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Ainsley, how about you? Yes, I am on Instagram at Ainsley B. And AinsleyBritton.com is my website. And that TikTok is Enneagram and Chill. Very nice. I'm a little bit hesitant to share that one, but yeah, it, hey, it is what it is. You know, you know, gotta go with the lingo and hey, we can we can redeem it, right? If we can redeem what? the Enneagram, we can redeem the word chill and that word and in front of it. Um, so I will have the links uh, to all of those websites and social media um, in the show notes. Um, so if you guys missed any of that, um, you can go back to show notes and click that. Follow them. They are great. Um, you will hear them as co-hosts along with me when we meet with uh, our youth worker guests, uh, one through nine. And then we will end uh, with both of you joining me uh, at the uh, conclusion of the series. And we'll talk about next steps, which involve uh, turning this content into a publication. Very excited about that. Um, so thank you so much, ladies, for joining me. And we will hear from you soon and uh, very excited. Thank you so much. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Ainsley and Danielle for their time. Be sure to look at the show notes and check them out online. Follow them and get to know them a little bit as you will hear them over the next several episodes co-hosting with me in this series. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. Be sure to share it, tell people about this series and how it can pertain to them, how they are wired and how they can succeed in ministry. Uh, our website, youthministrymaverick.com, has all of our episodes, our guests, their bios, merchandise that you can buy and links to organizations that can help you in ministry. Our next episode is this Friday. Ainsley will join me. Uh, with our Enneagram One youth worker, and we will start our bi-weekly episodes. Very exciting. Uh, so until then, adios. <laughs>